Welcome to the Burden and Blessing Podcast, a study and discussion forum on the truth of God's Word. Our CPR series looks at certain topics that come up in life, and we attempt to discuss them in a way that relates to everyone. At times, we bring in the arguments of those opposed to the Word of God in order to practice contending for the faith that God gave His Church. It is our prayer that you will be equipped to give a defense for the truths of the Christian faith with humility and respect. Welcome back to the Burden Blessing Podcast. I'm Pastor Mark Tiefel, joined by Pastor Neil Radical today, and we are continuing our new series called the Skeptic Series, where we're looking at uh, common questions and objections to the Christian faith and providing a scriptural backing to that and a way that we can answer some of those things as Christians to increase our understanding and our witness for Christ. Today, we're taking a look at the question, what makes you think Christianity is the only way to God? Pretty common question. What makes you think Christianity is the only way to God? Neil, you ready to jump into this this morning? You bet, brother. Looking forward to it. All right. Well, let's get started here. Neil, start us off. Let's dig right into the scriptures on this. Let's start with what does God say in his word? about this question. What are some go-to Bible passages that we can use and kind of have in our inventory so that we're ready to respond to this? I think there's a lot of really good passages in the book of Acts where you see the apostles basically answering a lot of those questions where people questioning, you know, what must I do to be saved? You know, in a in a region and a time when there are so many religions because of Roman influence uh, throughout all the nations and lands, you could see that there's many different gods, many different so-called ways of eternal life or the next life, whatever you want to call it. So how would Christianity be unique and different? And I think you see that from the apostles' responses. You think of maybe Peter in Acts 4, where he talks about there's nor is there salvation any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So Peter and John, with boldness, they're proclaiming why this one name, this one religion of Christianity is different, is unique. You look at other examples of this, like with Paul later on, Paul and Silas, you know, talking about how they're to the jailer and flip by who says the same question, what must I do to be saved? In other words, tell me why you think who you follow is going to save me and deliver me. He was facing his own death by what had taken place there. And Paul makes it very clear, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And so that whole idea of what makes Christianity the only way to God, I think can be summarized in the one word, it's value. Value in the, in the person, in the character of the Christ, and then ultimately the value in the work and worship of Christ. And in my mind, that makes Christianity unique to any other religion out there because of its value of what it offers, what it gives to the individual versus what the individual has to give to their God. Do you have any reaction to that? Yeah. So it's a really interesting thought that you bring out there because our question focuses on the word exclusive or unique, as you talked about. And, and when we think about this question, we typically think what makes Christianity the, the one of the one of a kind that it is. And those passages certainly speak to why Christianity is the only way, why we might call it exclusive. But you're also building out and understanding that from those passages, we see the value 
of Christianity too. So it's not just, uh, God's not just making the case in these verses that, that Christianity is the only way he's making the case that it's the best way or the better way that what you, in what you use the word value. So when God describes this to us, he's not just saying, this is the way it is. Take it, take my word for it. And he has every right to do that. If he wanted to, there are certain topics in the Bible where he does do that. God's also explaining for us why Christianity is the only way. And these passages also highlight what you said is the value of that. I think that's a really important part of this is as Christians, when we think about this and give a defense for this, we're not just shouting into people's faces and saying, this is the way it is, but we have an opportunity in those situations as well to, sh- to show them why it's that way, what, what Christ has done for us. Can so, I, so yeah, keep, bit, yeah, keep, yeah, keep to, building off that. I want to expand a little bit more. So the two things I'm really looking at with the value here, as I mentioned, is the person and his character and the work and the worship. So with that first one there, I'd like to explore this with you a little bit more as we unpack this. If you look at the person and character of Jesus, again, if we were just looking at the book of Acts, there's definitely a theme in Acts of not just Jesus is the name that saves, but it's it's how he saves. So really the person of Jesus is unique because it shows his resurrection. Peter, Paul, the apostles were all pointing to that Christ is risen. And that's that's where ultimately there's one a YouTube video that I thought was kind of interesting where you took the, the weenie disciples to go to warrior disciples. And that's all based on the resurrection. They were hiding in those rooms you know, in those upper room, in those rooms, not just the upper room, but they were hiding in those rooms behind locked doors when Christ was dead. When he had risen and he appeared to them, they were emboldened to go and even suffer death and be tortured because their savior, because Jesus, our God had been risen from the dead. So the person of Jesus itself shows the value that he is, he is the one who was promised to come that was going to show his reason in coming not to be served, but to serve. That's another reason why I see the value of Christ with his person and his character. His character is not a a king that's coming to be a tyrant. His purpose is coming to be a king who serves. And if you look at Old Testament history of Israel, every good king was one that actually served their people, not just defending them against foreign nations that wanted to kill them and destroy them, but protecting them and providing them spiritual leadership too. And that's the kind of king that we have in Christ, not coming to be served by his subjects, but but coming to serve his subjects, willing to run that front line to defend us and deliver us, which is ultimately where we get that word salvation from. So that's that value I see in Jesus. The person and the character of Christ is unique and different to any other God that has been made up in this world, or I shouldn't say it's, it sounds kind of harsh. Any other God, you put him side by side by Jesus and the character and the person are totally different. And that's where I see the uniqueness of Christ. Now you mentioned also with that, the work and worship, do you want to build that out a little bit too? Yeah. Yeah. And I got into a little bit of the resurrection. Of course, if Jesus was dead, he wouldn't be very good leader, but with his work itself, you look at what he was willing to endure in serving us, you know, the fact that he was willing to suffer on the cross and even more so to suffer the full wrath poured out. You know, Jesus talks about in the garden of Gethsemane that he's going to drink the full cup of God's punishment for our sins. Unless I drink it, you know, this is God's will that he would suffer this wrath. So he endured all that punishment for our sin on the cross and ultimately 
really gives us the reason to worship him because he took away what we could not pay for. He paid the debt for what we couldn't do enough works to accomplish. And that's ultimately why we worship him because of his work, because of his person, because of his character of what he's done for us and then what he promises us. Again, in the, in the religions that I've studied, and I know you've studied too in the world, I just don't see any comparison to the value of what Christianity offers to the rest of the world. So that's a really interesting thought as we bring it all together here. We're talking about not just the exclusiveness of Christianity, but the value that it offers. And you summarize that really nicely for us in two areas, the person and character of Christ and then the work and worship of Christ as well. All of those things in Christianity are not just unique, but they also show the infinite value of the Christian faith when compared to other faiths. And so it's a good summary of that. As we think about some more scripture passages, you brought in the book of Acts being filled with them. I also think the gospel of John is a great place to go. You've got John 14, 6, Jesus' own words. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, John 3, verse 36, the last verse of John chapter 3, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. I want to look at that last passage in John for a second, just ask you, Neil, you know, the context of John chapter three, in this question of the exclusiveness of Christianity, it being the only way to salvation. Why is it interesting that a verse like this, that really clearly shows that without Jesus, we are not saved. Why is it interesting that that comes up in John chapter three? Well, the beginning part of John, three you have nicodemus wrestling with these kinds of questions which is why i think partly you want to go there nicodemus is basically asking jesus you tell me why you think you're the way to go why do you think you're he wanted to know more about jesus and ultimately the questions that he asks jesus directs him back to scripture back to the word and back to the whole understanding that god has promised something from the very beginning and i'm going to deliver it as his son, as the perfect savior. And so that, that line of thought that Nicodemus was wrestling with is the same thing that I think a lot of us wrestle with too. I know when I was younger, I struggled with that idea of how do I know I'm really following the true religion? There's so many different religions and faiths out there, whether they're be excuse, exclusive or not, how can there really only be one way? You know, we've heard people say to us, all roads lead to heaven. So how can there really only be one way? And Jesus makes that very clear, just like you said, when he talks about him being the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father through him. He's telling us that there is only one way because he is making the way for us. Ultimately, there is no way to get to heaven. Yeah, you see see Nicodemus as exactly a portrait of a person who has that same struggle, who has that same question. And Nicodemus, as a Jewish person, was not looking for, you know, an a a polytheistic religion of all roads lead to God. He was, he was, you know, involved in an exclusive religion too. He just didn't at that point connect Christ as the fulfillment of all that. But I think it's interesting also because John 3.16 is the most well-known Bible passage in all the world. And it's so often used to promote this idea that, well, God loves all people and he wouldn't judge people. He wouldn't condemn people. He, he wouldn't say there's only one way to heaven. He, he will let people believe whatever they want because he's love. God lo- God so loved. But the rest of the context of the chapter really bears out that the love of God is only found through the work of Jesus and the value, like you mentioned earlier, 
what Jesus offers us through his person and through his work. And so I thought, I think that's interesting that the whole chapter ends on that one verse, which is that stark reminder of that in a context that's often misused in the world around us today. Well, if you follow up the next two verses from John 3.16, which we never hear people quote, verse 17, 18 say, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So there's the exclusivity of Christ there. It's through Christ we are saved. And then it goes on to say, he who believes in him is not condemned. So he who believes in Christ is not condemned, but he who does not believe in is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. So this, we would expect that if you created something, if you built something and I took credit for it, that would be wrong. But if we look at God saying he is the creator of all things, he is the savior of all people. And we say, Nope, it's not you. It's somebody else. Yeah. There, there should be some reprimand for that. There should be some punishment for that because they're denying the one who bought us back from our sin. I think what's an interesting point about that, too, when we talk about the reason to worship God is that it does point to the fact that, yes, he redeemed us, he paid for us, and his character is all about showing that love. God demonstrates his own love for us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8 says. Or the other one I like to think, too, is with the value of Christianity, ultimately, it's the, it's the main factor of motivation, why would I want to be a good person? How does Christianity unique and different? Why do I think it's the only way? Well, look at what it ultimately moves us to do. When we look at the reasons to serve God, I love 2 Corinthians 5, for the love of Christ compels us. In other words, the reason why we want to serve him is because of how he served us, the love that he's shown to us. We, because we judge and understand thus, that if one died for all, then all died. We died to him. We, we live to serve him. Verse 15, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. I was using that king illustration before, Mark, and I said, you know, when you have a king like we have, we want to serve him because look at the way he serves us. When you look at the different gods of the world, it's, it's a tough thing to serve him because where do you see the love? Where do you see the laying down the life and you see that pretty much exclusively in Christianity. And that's why I believe it is valuable, unique, and exclusive when it comes to salvation in heaven, just as the Bible teaches us that yeah, there's, one, one, there's only one way, but that way is easy because it's simple faith in that way. And that works. Absolutely. Excellent passages all around. I'm going to throw you a curveball here. Okay. With the next question, all the passages that we have referenced so far to answer this question, what makes you think Christianity is the only way to God, all of them have come from the New Testament. What does the Old Testament say about this? Any, any thoughts come to mind on that? I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. I think the problem that we see in the Old Testament times is that the children of Israel, who were supposed to be children of the Lord, Jehovah God, would get tempted, just like we are, to follow the other gods of this world. Maybe our gods are more like materialism or humanism or things like that, at least the states. But ultimately, they had the same struggles we do in following the ways of this world. And that's why I love this verse from Isaiah 42, verse 8. His idea is that we should praise him because 
he is more than just God, more than just saying, okay, we have a God out there. He is declaring to us his specific name and how he led the people, led the promised the promises that he made, he led that through and kept all those promises to this nation that we, the world, benefit from in seeing the birth of Christ, our Savior. So I think there's a lot of references in the Old Testament. You know, the Isaiah 42 is one there, but a lot of specific references. When you ever see Lord capitalized in the Old Testament, it's referring to Jehovah, and that he gets very specific. This is this is the name of whom we serve, and there's only one God. You know, the idols have proved to not do anything for the people when they followed them and ultimately the lord shows his true self and that he is a a powerful god a real god isaiah 42 8 is one of the ones that came to mind for me too and i think in the old testament you have more of this the answer given here in terms of idolatry and the lord talking about that and condemning that you're not going to have as many specific passages that really hone in on the on the direct answer of Jesus Christ as you would in the New Testament. And obviously that's because the Old Testament is also pointing ahead to what Christ would do. But because of that, because of Christ's fulfillment, you can kind of work backwards at times from the New Testament to the Old Testament in this as well. I think about on Easter when Jesus said to his disciples, everything that was written in the law and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me had to be fulfilled talking about that this is the crowning achievement of his work, that it fulfilled the Old Testament. So when Jesus proclaims in the New Testament, then that he's the only way, it, he, is, he is affirming what the Old Testament taught. I also think of, you mentioned the book of Acts earlier, Peter's sermon to Cornelius's family always stands out in my mind. Acts 10, 43, to Christ, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. So it's not from an Old Testament book, but you see how God declares that the Old Testament confirmed this very same truth, that the coming Savior, the Messiah, would be the only way to salvation very clearly, uh, even if sometimes in the Old Testament, it's given under different types of terminology. It's interesting that you just referenced that. I just used that for chapel, I think, two days ago. But I believe that verse also has, in reference to the all the prophets testify of Christ, and then the point of that is that you see through Christ that there be these periods of refreshing and recharging and restoration of the soul and finding peace. You know, peace is such a powerful thing that we see in the, the Bible, that peace is passes all understanding through Christ Jesus because of what he has achieved for us that we could not achieve. Again, goes full circle back to that word that really stands out in my mind to answer this question. What makes you think Christianity is the only one way to God? It's it's value, what it offers to me, a sinner who is hopeless and can't raise myself from the dead and can't pay for my sins and can't achieve heaven on my own. There's no greater value. There's no greater treasure. That word is used so often in the Bible, that treasure in our heart that we've been given from our Lord. Last question that we're going to kind of talk about in this, trying to answer this we live in a world today that stresses being inclusive, including all people in our beliefs, not judging other people, not saying that something is right or wrong. How does this idea of Christianity being the exclusive way to God fit into that? And maybe more importantly, why does our world hate exclusiveness so much when it comes to belief in God? Could you have some thoughts on that, Neil? 
I think if I'm, let me make sure I'm understanding your question correctly. Why do, why does the world hate Christians is ultimately another way of saying it because of the exclusive nature of it. Is that what you're trying to get at? Yeah, but specifically, you know, why does the world hate the exclusiveness of our faith that we say it's the only way that we say Jesus is the only way to God. The world that we live in today is very hostile toward that. Why is that? And, and why does the world speak so vehemently against that? And then, you know, working forward from that, what can we do as Christians in a setting like that? I think most people believe that God is love. God, if, if there's a true God, that he's a loving God. So if that's the case, A equals B, then that loving God would never send anyone to hell. So how could he be exclusive? And in that idea of everyone, if all gods are the same and there's only one supreme being, then why can't he go by a number of different names? So I think people don't like being told that they're, they're wrong or incorrect or that they, you know, that we have a lot of pride in our lives. So I, I think there's a combination of a lot of things. I think that's a difficult question to answer, but ultimately for me, I see people upset with the exclusivity of Christianity because Satan's hard at work of getting people to think that how can there only be one way? How can, how can this guy that lived so many years ago be the answer to our problems? So I ultimately think that the anger, the resentment, the hatred comes from our sinful nature and from Satan that just doesn't want something to be so easy for us when the Lord, when Jesus makes it easy for us by saying, I'll take the way for you. I'll take all your burdens when you come to me and I'll give you a true rest. They don't want to go along with that. They want to follow their own, you know, I have to do something. I have to earn it. And that's what all the other religions have to offer. So now if I don't have to earn it, I can't take any credit for it. I only have to give credit to God. And I think that upsets people because number one, they don't think God, it would be a God that would punish people. That was my first point. My second point is, you know, what value is it if I can't earn it? If I can't earn it on my own, how valuable can it be? And I think we've talked about that before, that something doesn't seem to have value if it doesn't cost anything, if you don't pay for it. Christian knows that it did cost something. It cost the perfect blood of our Savior, Jesus, God dying for us and rising again. So there was a price, there was a value that was placed on what he's done for us. But I think people either think it's too easy or can't understand how God would punish someone for not, for rejecting that, for not believing that. It really makes you wonder what is the more exclusive way when God says that he loves the world, that he sent his only son and whoever believes in him will have eternal life or the idea that I need to work for my salvation to earn God's favor. In the world, because of our flesh, we typically think of God's way as being more exclusive because it's saying there's only one path, but it's really not. The, ex the more exclusive way is to limit it to our works, to limit it to our efforts, to basically play the rat race with the rest of humanity to try to get God's favor. And we're excluding people that way too, but we're simply making it by our own rules. God's way actually opens up a very, a very wide road to heaven. God takes all the barriers out of the way. Like you said, it's God makes it easier on us, but it doesn't feel like that. According to our flesh, Satan certainly doesn't advertise it that way. The world doesn't tempt us to believe it that way. They want to, they want to make it look like God is holding back on us, just like all of Satan's lies lead to. And I think that what it comes down to in my understanding is the reason our culture looks for what seems to be inclusive rather than exclusive is because they want comfort without accountability. 
the, what we've been building out here is that this, to answer this question, it's not just a theoretical thing. It's not just a logical sequence of events. It's also understanding the work of Christ, the value that he offers. And that means that he's the one who paid the price for us. And so in order to have comfort, there has to be accountability paired with that. That has to be paired with truth. And the truth is Jesus took care of all those requirements on our behalf. That's what makes it possible. But if I, if I have a mindset that wants all the blessings of God, but not through what Christ has done, I'm trying to, to short circuit the path that God has set up. And the really the only way that a person can be redeemed of their sins. And so it is kind of tragic that our culture gets in this place where they berate this teaching from God because it because it's really what God gives us to show the wide way to heaven that he's offered us through Christ, that he has paid for the sins of all people, that he freely offers eternal life, um, that God makes it incredibly easy on us. It's blocking out all of those central truths to the message of salvation in Jesus. I think another way of approaching this question, this will be my, my last point, unless you have any other questions for me. If someone says to me, what makes you think Christianity is the only way to God? I guess another good question to ask them would be, how are you going to get right with God? If Christianity is in the right way, how, take that question and apply it to every other religion. How do you get right with God? Or in other words, how do you earn, how do you get God's favor? And I think the difference is dramatic when you look at that question in line with everything else, because we don't earn God's favor. You think of the angels at Jesus' birth, peace, goodwill toward all men, to all men. That's God's favor has been gifted in his son, Jesus Christ. That's the point of the angel's message. This is how we get right with God, Christ, Jesus Christ. That's it. That's how we get right with God. And so ultimately it's not, what do I need to do to earn favor with God? How do I get right with God? It's what God has shown me and giving me his favor when I didn't deserve it. Absolutely. Well said. I appreciate the input and the wisdom shared today, Neil, as you try to answer this question. And hopefully we've been able to give our listeners some very solid truths to take with them. Uh, in that spirit, as we close up this podcast, we always try to end our skeptic series with our three main points. And so I'm going to try to summarize what I believe to be the three main points that we talked about today. Number one, see not just from a theoretical standpoint that, that God makes the case in his word that Christianity is exclusive, the only way, but also seeing the value. And as, as Neil mentioned, the value through the person and character of Christ and through the work and worship of Christ. Number two, the second main point would be that this is all over the Bible. We see passages throughout New Testament, Old Testament, where God is declaring the central way, the only way to salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's not something we have to be afraid of, because that includes with it all the work being completed by Christ. And the last point, number three, I'd say, beware of the lies of our culture that are sowed by Satan. This idea that God is holding back on you, that the exclusiveness of Christianity is something bad, that other beliefs are more inclusive, that, that God just wants to condemn people. All these lies in our culture, be aware of that. Because every philosophy, every belief, every religion is exclusive to some extent in some way. 
but only the way to Christ is truly inclusive of all people. Only Christ said it is finished. Only God declared that he loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son. And so that's the only way to have peace and harmony with God. And the beautiful part of that, as we've built out, is the value that it's incredibly free by God's grace, a product of his love for mankind. And so what a, what a wonderful treasure to have, the, the, the greatest gift we could have. And as Christians, a wonderful thing to make our boast and to make our witness to the world around us. Thanks for joining me today, Neil, to go through this important question. And thank you. Yeah, thank you to our listeners for continuing to tune into our podcast. We pray that your faith is strengthened and that you're better equipped uh, to share that message of Christ with the world around you. Continue to tune in to Burn and Blessing podcast. We have podcasts every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And you can also reach out on our Facebook page if you have questions or comments or uh, suggestions for future podcasts. We're always open to hearing that too. Lord's blessings be with you all in the day ahead. We hope that you will join us next week for another episode of Burden and Blessing Podcast. Our goal is always to bring you the whole counsel of God. Until next time, go in the strength of the Lord and preach the word.